You guys are in for a treat this morning. Uh, one of our best friends is in town, uh, Noel and Gay Cookman, uh, a couple from out of Dallas, Texas, and was a pastor, has planted churches, and uh, came out of law and into grace. And uh, he's got an awesome story to tell about how he, as a pastor, experienced the same things all we experience in terms of a mixture of law and grace and what God did to reveal to him how the revelation of grace is where it's at. So I think you, I know you're going to be so blessed. Um, so Noel is going to come up here in two seconds. I just want to say real quickly, next week is the conference, the grace conference. Um, really pray about bringing a friend or someone that you can think of that really is struggling with law and grace and what the Christian life is all about. Um, maybe more than one friend, but uh, see, you know, if, if you can't make all the, the meetings, it's Thursday night, all day Friday, and then Saturday morning till 12 noon. Is that Eunice? Eunice! <laughs> Eunice! From Joseph Prince's church, all the way from Singapore. Uh, awesome. You too, Eunice. Good to meet you. Oh my gosh. We've been emailing for years, back and forth, and that's so awesome. And this is your, your friend? May. James, good to meet you, May. Ching, good to meet you, Ching. And the, there's more than three that came, right? The three of us from Singapore? That's awesome. Thanks for being They came for the conference. They're going to be here all week. Awesome. So awesome. So uh, let's just pray real quick, and then i um, so honored to have you guys here. We are so honored to have the saints from across the world over here. You know, and same spirit, same truth. Awesome. Um, so let's pray. And then, uh, Noel, if you want to come on, come on up and Lord, we just thank you. Thank you so much for the reality of grace. And Lord, we thank you that grace really isn't just a concept, but it's a person. Jesus himself, Jesus himself, as Paul said, be strong, my son, in the grace of that is in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you that you have placed us in your son and your son has been placed in us and you are in your son and the son is in you. We are one. Awesome miracle. Awesome miracle. Thank you, Lord, that we've already passed through death and into life. And we live the rest of our lives on earth as those who have already died and already been buried, already been raised, and have already ascended. We sit in you, with you, Lord, in heavenly places. Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that our brother Noel will speak from his heart, from the Spirit, Thank you for his friendship through the years. Thank you for his encouragement through the years. And I pray that he would feel so welcome here and so loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. I was here several years ago, and you were in another room, and it was, was, that's what I was expecting, a smaller room. And then I came in here, and here's all these people. (laughs) It's bigger, so I've got to get used to this a little bit. 
Um, and I, I used to be in professional ministry, what I call professional ministry. I don't know how professional I was, but it was my livelihood. You know what I'm saying? People call it full-time ministry, but that's probably not the best way to say it. But um, that's been like 15 or 17 years ago. It's been a, it's been a while. And um, I changed careers. I, it's not because of anything really traumatic. It's just the Lord just you know, has been ordering our steps and... And for the last 12 years, I've been in the mortgage business, <laughs> or, or, or as CNN might call me, I'm the Antichrist. So. <clears throat> and the only speaking I've done um, has been to, I, I, I work with uh, divorce lawyers and their clients, so I, I talk to divorce lawyers about mortgages. How exciting is that? So there's not a whole lot I can carry over from my professional life. Uh, to say anything worthwhile today, <laughs> but um, it's what it's it's how the Lord has directed my path, and it's just some amazing doors have opened and and relationships that we have. But I wanted to just share a couple things about um, our journey and and how about 17 years ago I was um, I was uh, pastoring a church and. And um, things are going okay, but um, have you ever heard Rocky Bean talk about the 10-year Christian battery, how, how uh, it just she had burned out after about 10 years? It took me 25, so I was a little, <laughs> I wasn't quite as quick as some of my brothers and sisters who, who saw things or, or came to an end of their own flesh, um, you know, earlier. But... Um, Mike and Rocky Bean, well, probably most of you guys know Mike and Rocky. Uh, they came to visit us in Raleigh, North Carolina, and, and I can remember, I can almost hear the words. Um, uh, Mike said, you've got to listen to these tapes, and he handed me some cassette tapes back in, you know, the previous century when we had cassette tapes. You guys don't know about <laughs> cassette tapes, do you? Yeah. And this guy named James Barron, you just got to listen to this. And he told me about Russ and Hazel, who had been our friends from years before. And they said, Russ and Hazel's their life has just been totally turned upside down. They're just, they're just so excited about the Lord and about what he's done and about this message of grace. And so I took the tapes and I started listening. And I was very skeptical for, um, for, a, for several months, but I would listen to the tapes and gradually the word began to um, get in me like a seed that began to grow. I'm not even going to tell you some of the silly religious things I said about the grace message. I'm embarrassed to say <laughs> some of the stupid things that I would say as a, as a professional minister and as a, uh, somebody who thought he knew the, you know, the truth. Do you want to hear one stupid thing I said? <laughs> you people are not very graceful this morning. You want to hear? <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I remember riding down the road with uh, one of my preacher buddies, and we were listening to the grace message. And I'm so embarrassed. I'm not going to say this. This is. I said. I said. You know. I bet the only reason these grace preachers preach the grace is because they just like to drink wine. <laughs> now, I, I was raised Pentecostal. I was a Pentecostal. And there's a lot of good things about that. We don't scare easy, you know, because we, 
we've seen a lot of things, so I usually don't get too frightened about things, but as you know where that came from. That just came from kind of a real legalistic view, and so I said a lot of other stupid things as I began to hear this message of grace, and it, and it really, like Russ Parker says, it's too good to be true. I mean, it is true, but it's like... It, it can't be so that our sins are no longer counted against us. It just didn't fit with what I had been teaching. Because if, if that is true, then about 95% of my work of ministry was unnecessary. <laughs> Think about it. Uh, because most of it revolved around getting people to behave and to get their slates cleaned up again every day, you know. We had prayer meetings, we had confessionals, and, and we had just, you know, the whole thing was based around getting that slate clean, you know, keeping the slate clean. So I began to, you know, gradually it began to dawn on me. Then I started making trips down here um, to to fellowship with James and Cindy and and I listened to the to the teaching and and they would let me come in and do a little worship or some music and stuff and that must have been a little scary at least to to think that you know here's a guy that kind of halfway gets it you know and you're gonna let him stand up in front of people but just like a seed it just began to grow and one one thing that helped me although even before I I got out of the professional ministry. We began to. Fortunately, I wasn't in a uh, an organized denomination. I'm, there's not necessarily anything wrong with organized denominations or groups, but fortunately, I wasn't in a in a group like that where I was being heavily superintended, and I had my father, and I had a lot of wonderful people in my life. But as we began to see this, and we and James came down one weekend and spoke to the church and. Remember one of my buddies, actually Mark is going to be here next week, right? Mark sat right on the front row and he sat there and just was, looked up at James the whole time and just tears running down his cheeks and he was just crying. It's like, this can't be true. Is this really true? And our whole fellowship was just changed and, and uh, so blessed. And um, the one thing I wanted to tell you was that what, a couple things that immediately began to fall off as I began to see the finished work and as I began to see the grace of God. Um, as, it, as a uh, pastor, as a professional minister, a couple things fell off. The first thing that, or I don't know if it's, it was the first, but an outstanding thing that began to fall away was I had to come to grips with, that, with the fact that tithing was not the key to uh, God's blessing. Tithe or not tithe, that's that's fine. I, that's great if you tithe or don't tithe. But it, I used to stand up, and, and it wasn't even original uh, original with me, but I would stand up and, and I would take the offering. I'd say, okay, the Bible says if you tithe, you're blessed. If you're not, you're under the curse. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and people would giggle. Oh, that's really cute, you know. But but uh, that, that just ministered more death. And, and you could sometimes sense a... A, a Paul come across the people as they as they were once again subjected to uh, the law, or not even the law, but just just that that curse, telling people they're under a curse. 
And um, so that was one of the first things that, that um, kind of fell away. And the other, uh, the next thing that fell away was this sense that um, I had to, uh, that people had to confess their sins so that they could, you know, live in right standing with God. And that's, that's like one of the first things that falls away. And this, a, a new understanding of First John chapter 1 where we've been teaching people now, um, this was actually given to unbelievers, but it's good for believers too if you confess your sins and all that kind of stuff. So that fell off. And then the third thing that fell away was this idea that I had to defeat the old man um, through that the battle was between the old man and new man. I'd always thought that they both were alive, you know, that there was this, that when, when I sinned or when I failed, that that was really the old man raising his ugly head, you know. That we'd killed him, but by George, he would always just rise from the dead. And we were in this constant struggle. And we were trying to fight that old nature. Well, what that did was, that uh, did a lot of bad things in my mind. But it, it showed, it, it prevented me from seeing um, the new creation. The new creation was just really a scripture verse, a, a, something we quoted. But, it, but we didn't really see it because we still felt like the old man was alive. And as long as you believe the old man is alive and you have this battle between the old man and the new man, then you never quite see that you are a new creation. And um, James is going to be talking at the conference about the circumcision, cutting away the, uh, the old from the new, creating the new man. So my whole, I told you 95% of my ministry was revolved around this. We had to help the, the believers to Fight that old man. So you had accountability groups and discipleship groups and and programs and training and and levels of achievement, you know. And it was all based around uh, we're in this big struggle, old man and new man. And I later came to see that, um, you know, there is a battle. And if I have time, I'm talk about the the fight of faith, what it means to. What I, I, I think it means to fight the fight of faith. Um, there is a battle it's between the flesh and the spirit. And the spirit, it's not even a battle you fight. The spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh wars against the spirit. But um, So that's how I came to see the new creation. And um, so, so it, that just rocked my world because it ruined my agenda. And I didn't have a job to do. I was like I was a pastor with no job to do. And... Um, and that probably is, is more the reason. I'm not against professional ministry. I think obviously we need men and women who, who just lay their lives down and give their lives for, for uh, feeding and helping the saints, encouraging the saints in the faith. But that's not what I had been doing. I've been engineering their, what I thought was their growth through programs and through hard work. So... Then I saw um, this little promise from uh, 1 John where the apostle says, um, as a matter of fact, so I don't misquote it. Let me just read it. I think it's in 1 John 3, verse number 2. And um, this kind of turned us around. Beloved, now we are children of God. Say now. No, don't say now. Just kidding. (laughs) 
I was just trying to imitate a TV preacher there. Everybody say now. Say it one more time. No. But beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. And this is what stood out to me. For we shall see him as he is. And uh, the Lord showed me that. I began to see that the, the key to um, growth, to maturing, what the, what the apostles would call maturity, growth, real growth, was not learning to sin less. And you know there's actually people who teach this. I mean, uh, it's kind of shocking, but, uh, but I heard a teacher one time said, now, spiritual maturity is sinning less, learning to sin less. I thought, boy, that's, no wonder there's, they're full-time at this. That's, they need a whole staff of people to manage the, the body of Christ, helping everybody to sin less. It's a lot, a lot of work to do. But I saw the key to maturity was not uh, what I call discipleship, but it was seeing. Because John said, when we see him, we will be like him. And that doesn't give the carnal... Uh, any carnality a chance it doesn't give the flesh any chance because uh, if if the whole key is to just simply see this unfolding revelation of who Christ is and that then changes us that is what transforms us we're transformed not by learning to sin less we're transformed because we see him more and more we are on a journey and the journey is this unfolding sight. Does that make any sense? You know what I'm saying? Um, we have him in all of his glory and all of his fullness, but it's like our eyes are just gradually being more and more and more and more open. That's why, in my opinion, you can come here Sunday after Sunday for years and hear the same message. James and, the, and hopefully we all actually preach and teach, proclaim the same message over and over again. Have you noticed that? The, the message is really the same. But, but it's so fresh and because our eyes are a little more open, a little more open. And I'll tell you, um, any, any struggles with sin or certain habits or behaviors that I have had, and, and we have to be careful that because this is not where we glory. We don't glory in, hey, I've overcome lust and, I've, you know, I, I've overcome pornography and I've overcome jealousy and I've overcome, you know, that's not where we glory. So we have to be careful that when we, that, that we don't kind of track our growth and we say, okay, now I'm, I'm growing, I can see I'm sinning less. Because if you do, you're glorying in the flesh, you're glorying in, in, in behaviors rather than glorying in Christ and what he's done. But if there's, if there's any transformation, it's come because uh, for 17 years now, almost 17 years, when I sin and my old mind says, get on your knees, pray, repent, confess that, get a, get a clean heart again before God. I said, no, no. I thank God that this was taken care of. That Christ himself took care of this. And I am not going to confess this sin to God for the purpose of being cleansed again. I am going to thank him for what he already did. 
And let me tell you something. There, I'm kind of getting into what the fight of faith is. But there's a great temptation, isn't there, to, to say, uh, you know, I've done this for a long time now. You know, is it working? Of course it's working because the work has already been done and it's not to get you to behave better. That w- there is a transformation. There is godliness. Godliness is just working out of, the, of who you actually are. It will happen. It will happen if we simply see this unfolding revelation of what Christ is. So that, that's my opinion about why James can, or the teachers next week, Mark, or whoever it is, whoever stands up, every one of you, you share the same thing over again, but it's so fresh and so new because we have this unfolding revelation. Does that make sense? Yes. So, oh, one more thing, and then I want to just tell you what I think the fight of faith is. Um, so after we moved to Texas, we went to, we visited churches every once in a while, and, and you fill out the cards, and so they came to see us, you know, and they had, three of them came to see us one, one uh, evening. And um, wonderful people, but have you ever heard of, the, have they ever come to your house or anybody ever said, okay, now, let me ask you a question. If you were to die tonight... <laughs> I mean, this is how we gave altar calls, you know. If you, if Jesus were to come right now, and if you were to die tonight and stand, but they said, if you were to die tonight, and you stood before God, and God said, "Why should I let you into my heaven?" What would you say? And it's sort of a good thing because what what they're trying to get to is that is the is actually the, the kernel of it, the truth of it, is that there is only one way to eternal life, and that's through Christ Himself. But uh, they said. What would you do? And they were, I could tell, like, there was a new one in the group. And they are like, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to ask a question? No, no, you ask a question. So they were, like, organizing it right in front of us. <coughs> what would you say? I said, well, I've already died. <laughs> and I'm living in heaven right now. <laughs> so I, no comprende. I don't, it, it doesn't compute and they like regroup and like, well, well, but but if you did die and 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 so they were they were just they they just so wanted me to get to the place where I either said I would get in by my good works or get in by Jesus and when and, and when I finally said the word Jesus then they go oh yes that's what we're looking for right there like, okay we'll see you God bless you come back and visit the church but. That was the first time that I was able to actually speak and, and the reality of what had happened. And I realized we are appointed to die just once. Amen. And, and we already did. By faith, we're kind of transported through space and time to the cross where Jesus died. And he said, I'll, when I'm lifted up on the cross, I'll draw all, all men to myself. Noel Cookman from, from 19 whatever. And I would draw you and you and you. And I would draw all of these all of humanity into myself and I would die, I would carry them with me in my death through the cross and through that death and we would then die the one and only time you ever need to die. We have died. And, um, and we have been raised to a new life. It's already, it's already happened, so that was kind of fun. But um, <laughs> let me mention this real quick if I can, if I can quote the scriptures. And there, it's in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, uh, I just want to tell you what I, I believe the, 
the fight of faith is. Because Paul told young Timothy, although he was, um, I guess he was kind of seasoned in, in the work, the apostolic work for us, had been for probably years. And he said, Timothy, fight um, the, the, the good fight. Fight the fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6.12, I think it is. Fight the fight of faith. And then in the next letter, he wrote to Timothy, and he's, it's that uh, passage where he's talking about, you know, his time is coming, or, um, uh, uh, you know, be sure and bring my coat, you know, to me. The winter's coming, bring my coat, and he names people, and, and it's a real touching and a, and a personal message. And he says, I have fought the good fight. It's a short uh, little verse there, um, chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. And it's like he's sandwiched with this young Timothy and uh, toward the end of his life. This, um, this admonition. Fight. It's, it's really the fight. It's really the struggle. If we have a struggle, it is, this is the fight. And I was thinking about, what is the fight of faith? I used to think it was... Maybe fighting wild beasts, and I would imagine myself, you know, contending for the faith in front of persecution or in front of agnosticism or skeptics or whatever. And but I was contending for the faith, and I was arguing for the truths of the faith. And then I let me lay this before you: what really the admonition is is to you know how when you first became a believer. You realized, and almost every preacher will tell you this, even if they don't understand the finished work of Christ, they'll tell you this. Look, you stand before God and you bring nothing to God. Your good works or whatever. And, of course, most of us are thinking more of our bad works. And we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm, I have nothing good to bring. Well, that's easy on day one because you understand basically, okay, I, I am a sinner I have offended God. I've got nothing good to bring. Okay, a lot of people can start right there, you know, straight on. I bring nothing good to the table. But the fight of faith is that you go your entire life, and at the end, at the very end on your last day, you stand in that same simple faith that you have brought nothing good and nothing bad hinders you because you stand on the last day like you stood on the first day. And what happens is as we live our lives, see if you can relate to this, we, we, we compile good works and we will. You will. You, we were made for good deeds, good works. You will do good works. You'll do many, many wonderful exploits, many good deeds, and you will sin along the way. You will fail. You will make mistakes along the way. As you, as you do great exploits, as you become what the world and what the carnal mind would say, you've become a better person. You've turned over a new leaf. You, you're, really, you're really good now. Now, we understand, no, I'm, I'm, I was holy then, I was holy here, I was holy here, you're not more or less holy. We're, we're right standing with God. But you compile, you, you catalog all of these good things. And Paul, at the end of his life, he says, I've forgotten what's 
behind. The good, the bad, I don't, it, not a bit of it is in my thinking right now because I have fought the fight. What fight? I've kept the faith. It's the hardest thing we will ever do is to fight that fight so that the, on day last, we're standing one, we're standing in the same simple faith that we started with and that we don't bring any good works. We've forgotten it all. We've forgotten it all. We've, we kept the faith. The faith. Not, we, we didn't just keep faith. We didn't just keep believing. We kept the faith. What is the faith? A lot of people believe. You know, even demons believe. The faith is not any faith. It's not a faith. It's not just believing in general. The faith is when we say, there is only one way that I stand in righteous, in right standing with God, and that is through Christ and Him alone. What He did, what He accomplished. See, we're asking people to believe something very specific, a, a very specific faith. Not just believe in Jesus. We're saying, no, don't just believe Jesus is the Son of God, but believe that what He did on the cross is your only standing is the only way you stand before. But because of that, you stand totally righteous and holy before God. And now, at the very end, we're standing... Does that make any sense? I, I, and we all knew this, right? Already. But hopefully, it will encourage us so that we understand every day we're fighting this fight of faith. Every day we fight to say, no, I will not look on what I've done, good, bad, whatever. Kenny? It's good to see you. What, what, a, what a lightning rod for what God has done. Mike Bean saw you in the bookstore. And really, you're the reason I'm standing here today. And, and Kenny's like, oh, Mike, man, you can't believe this. Our sins are no longer counted against us. And Mike Bean goes up to North Carolina. And he talks to me and come down and see Russ and Hazel and James and Cindy and all you guys. I stand before you, Hopefully. Right now, absolutely. Not hopefully, absolutely. Because of one thing, because of what Christ alone did on the cross. I've, I've compiled nothing. What did Paul say? It's like, it's dirty rags. It's like dung. It's pretty strong language. And, but that's how we fight that faith, fight the fight of faith. So we stand. I hope that encourages you. Bless you guys. Bless you. Father, we um, are constantly standing before you by what uh, your son has accomplished. And as we um, go out and exchange hugs and greetings and words and laughter, compassion with one another, help us to see with ever-unfolding revelation as our eyes are open more and more to who you are and as we understand our union that we have in you help us to encourage one another open our eyes Lord more and more every day thank you Lord I commend my brothers and sisters to you I thank you for them because I'm so encouraged by the fellowship 
and the fellowship of faith that is going on here every day. It encourages me and my wife over in Texas. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.